Imagine a large unit on an industrial estate, and into that unit is driven a large white van, the kind of van you see on the road every day, being used by tradesmen and delivery drivers. And the door is closed behind it. And for several months, all kinds of noises can be heard coming from inside that unit. Cutting, hammering, welding, grinding, spraying. And then one day the noises stop. And the door to that unit opens wide. And the van is driven outside. Except it's no longer a van. It's a beautifully equipped motorhome with every convenience you can imagine. It's been totally repurposed. It will never again be used as it once was used. And now it will be used as it's never been used before. There's a company in the UK, well, there's several companies in the UK that do that kind of work. There's one in particular that I recall. I looked it up. They're still going. They've been going for over 50 years. They're called Danbury. And I can remember, it's funny how certain things stick in your mind, isn't it? How does this stick in my mind? I've no idea. I can remember seeing, uh, probably as we were driving on our holidays every summer, you see these vehicles on the road. And they'd have a little badge, and it would say this, Danbury Conversions. Danbury Conversions. Jesus said, unless you are converted. And the Apostle Peter stood in Jerusalem and said to everyone who was listening, you need to repent. And be converted. Now last week we heard Jesus responding to Nicodemus. And the verse that I've chosen this week. I've selected intentionally to follow on from what we looked at last week. Uh, last Sunday we heard Jesus say to Nicodemus. Assuredly I say to you. Unless one is born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. And in Matthew 18, Jesus says to his disciples, with this little child stood in front of them, Assuredly, unless you are converted, unless you become as this little child, you, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. The life-changing work that God does in a sinner, in bringing them to repentance, in bringing them to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is very largely all summarized in these two simple truths. Born again and converted. Born again points us to that changing condition that God brings to bear upon you as you are brought to saving faith. But of course it doesn't stop there, does it? Converted takes that further again. It emphasizes that total change of life. It's the necessary and obvious outcome of one who has been born again. You cannot be born again but remain unconverted. 
That's a nonsense. You cannot be converted unless you've been born again. They're like the two sides of a single coin. On one side it says born again and on the other side it says converted. And I want to just continue that line of thinking as Jesus makes it clear that this this whole concept of conversion is so necessary. It's part and parcel of coming to him and becoming one of his disciples. And I want to put it under three headings. We're going to kind of pick up from where we left off last week and then move things on from there. We're going to consider that Becoming a Christian, being born again, being converted, it involves, number one, a new condition. Number two, it produces a new character. And number three, the spin-off from that is new conduct. Because everything has to change if you've been born again and converted. So number one, new condition. So you can easily make a case for saying that being converted of necessity includes being born again. They're inseparable, these two things. You need to be converted and become as little children, says Jesus in Matthew 18. You are required to be in this new condition, which is the work of God within you. Now, we saw last week, Paul in Ephesians 2, he likens the new birth to being raised from death to life. Dead in trespasses and sins, alive to God in Christ. A complete transformation. That's the new condition that now you are in as a child of God. He's made you to be alive where previously you were dead. I was listening to a preacher during the week and he quoted Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon once asked someone, here's a question for you. What can a dead man do or a dead woman What can a dead man do? It's a good question. What can a dead man do? It's a question that was once put to a seminary class. What can a dead man do? Well, there was silence and they all thought for a while. Uh, And after a few moments, one student put their hand up. Yes, what can a dead man do? Stink. No one else came up with any other answer. What can a dead man do? But if God makes them alive, that's their only hope, is it not? You need a new condition. And it's found in Christ. Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 
the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. Oh no, says Paul, actually, it's even more than that. They cannot know them because they're spiritually discerned. There's a faculty and a capacity that you need that you simply do not have. God needs to do something radical within you. In your sin, you have no spiritual life. You do not have the capacity to receive the gospel or Christ. You need a new condition. You need to be converted. Paul gives us an explanation in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 why it is that people do not believe the gospel. If our gospel is veiled, in other words, it's like having a cloth over it so that no one can actually see it. It's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. They just cannot see. They do not have the sight to be able to see it. How many times have you heard Christians speak as if the only, the only possible reason that people don't get saved is because the preacher's no good or the church isn't what it should be? Well, there might be an issue with the preacher and maybe the church isn't what it should be, but that's not what the Bible says about why people don't get saved. If we had a better preacher, of course people will get saved. If we had a better strategy, of course people will get saved. Well, I'm not advocating poor preaching. But the point that we must not miss is that those who are perishing in their sins, they have a problem that even the very best of preachers can do nothing about. Nothing. They need a new condition. That only God can produce. There needs to be life. Where now there is death. There needs to be light. Where now there is darkness. There needs to be sight. Where now there is blindness. And crucially there needs to be this new spiritual faculty. Whereby you actually become cognizant with the gospel of Christ. That's a big word. What does that mean? Well, it means you actually start to understand it. And you see Jesus for who he really is. And you start to see yourself for who the Bible says you are. And you see your need of Christ. And that he's the only one that you need. And then by faith and repentance, you come to Christ. And now you're walking in communion with God. And you're enjoying fellowship with God because you've been given and put in this new condition. And it's all the work of God. You've been born again. You've been converted. The natural man or woman in their sinful state, they can know nothing of this. But this new condition into which God brings you, it's, it's like God breathing new life into you in exactly the same way that he first brew, uh, blew life into Adam when he created him. As we read there in Genesis that God breathed life into Adam and he became a living man. 
In the same way, for us in our sins, God breathes newness of life into us. And we're made alive in Christ. And and the Bible explains that Christ himself is our life by faith. So here's two well-known verses. Galatians 2.20. The life which I now live in the flesh. This living, breathing me right now on planet earth. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But then when you get to Colossians Paul actually takes it a stage further. And he's not saying that Galatians 2.20 isn't right, but he says actually it's even more than that. In Colossians chapter 3, Christ, Paul says, who is our life. Christ is your life. And you live by faith in him. That's the new condition you need. That's what being converted is all about. And when God has done this in the life of any man, any woman, any young person, any boy, any girl, you simply cannot continue to live the way you used to live. Because everything about you has been converted. Every part of you is converted. You're converted by Christ. You're converted to Christ. You're converted for Christ. Everything changes. Is that you, dear Christian friend? You know you've been converted by Christ. And if the Lord has brought you into this new condition, then what he also puts within you is a new character. Because it's complete conversion, or it's no conversion at all. And Jesus talks about becoming as a little child in conversion. It is to be a simple, childlike faith in Christ. It is to be a childlike dependence upon Christ. It is to be a childlike obedience to Christ. The Christian character is to be permanently looking to Christ. Permanently walking, holding Christ's hand. Being led by him. Like a child. It is to have nothing of self. And to have everything in him. That of course places a very big question mark in some people's minds about Christ. Is he up to that? Now I don't mind people asking questions like that. From their perspective, that's actually a very reasonable question to ask. Is this Jesus you're talking about, is he up to that? For me to trust him the way you're asking me to trust him, is he up to it? You're asking me to trust him, to to depend on him completely? He needs to be up to the job. That's actually quite a reasonable question to ask, don't you think? I wonder, are you a Christian and you've not yet got to grips with the answer to that yet? You'll find lots of people in the world and they will say, I'm not going to depend upon anyone but myself. 
I've been hurt, let down, disappointed by so many people, so many times. I'm just trusting in me. Thank you very much. How would you answer that? Here's a suggestion. First, you remind them that the Bible teaches that many people follow the path which seems right in their own eyes. But its end will always be the way of death. Always. And then you remind them of everything that Christ has done in order that anyone might be converted at all. Maybe this is, maybe you're a Christian, but maybe this actually will help you this afternoon. To just remind yourself of what, what it is that Christ has actually done that you could be converted at all. Take time to have a good look at the Lord Jesus Christ. See what he has done in order that you may be converted. For you to even have this new condition before God, God so loved you that he sent his own son into this world for one purpose. To live the sinless and perfect life that you could never live. And to die in your place because of the sinful life that you know you have lived. Think on this. Can I really trust this Jesus? Remember his perfect obedience to his heavenly father that even took him to the horrors of the cross for you. Think of the agonies of his soul in Gethsemane and still he gave himself to his father's will for you. Here in Christ is matchless grace here in Christ is unrivaled love demonstrated for sinners as the infinite God in the body of a man gives and gives and gives without measure. And all because of the vastness of his mercy and the vastness of his grace. The question actually is not, can he be trusted? The question is, why on earth have you not yet trusted him? Why would you not come to Christ as a child and put your hand in his? If you've been converted by God's spirit, that's what you do. And a complete transformation takes place. And you receive this new character. A new nature. You remember King David in Psalm 51. He prayed that God would do what? Well, a number of things. But amongst them, create in him a clean heart. And renew a steadfast spirit within him. I think David knew he needed to be converted. 
And he needed that converting work of God to be ongoing and continual all the time, every day. David's praying for conversion, for the ongoing knowledge and experience of a converted life, a converted heart, a converted soul. David knew he needed to be a changed character, but couldn't produce it in himself, for himself. In the New Testament, Paul says that as a Christian, you have been and you are being transformed by the renewing of your mind. says that in Romans 12. And he's told us that it's actually the very image of Christ that is overshadowing each one of us. So thorough is this conversion that we, that we have. He says in Romans 8, Whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now that's a conversion. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Crudely put, that sinner's going into that industrial unit looking every inch a sinner and coming out again and people are not, they're not now seeing the sinner, they're starting to see Christ. That's conversion. That's miraculous. That's God's grace. That's when someone truly has come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember that, remember that image that we're left with on that occasion when Jesus healed a man who'd been previously possessed with evil spirits he used to roam naked amongst the tombs and amongst the mountains and he would be yelling and screaming and he cut himself with stones. What a sight and sound that man must have been. People were terrified of him. And Jesus cast out those demons into a herd of pigs. And that man was converted right there. And what was the evidence of his conversion? People saw that man. He was calm. He was sitting next to Jesus. He was clothed and in his right mind. He was converted that day. And it was, it was thorough. It was complete. And in Christ, you are given the spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. Everything's changed. If you've been truly converted. If you've been truly brought into this new condition. By means of the new birth. A new character is unavoidable. Much of Paul's exhortation in his various letters. It's to remind us isn't it of this new character. With which we're supposed to be living. Because God has converted us by his spirit. So in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, Therefore be followers of God as dear children, walk in love as Christ also has loved us, given himself for us, an offering, a sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling aroma, uh, fornication, uncleanness, no more, shouldn't even be named among you, filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting, Things that aren't fitting. And so he goes on. That's all gone. It's all no more. Why? You've been converted. 
You're not like that now. Everything's changed. Verse 8. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. If you're a converted man or woman, live like a converted man or woman. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, and so on. Walk as children of light. You've been changed totally, changed completely. In Galatians, Paul speaks of the evidence of the fruit of God's Spirit in the life of every believer. And it's all to do with your character, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. They're not all things that, that you do in the first place. They are things that you are. That is you. That is the person that you are now in Christ. That is the new creature that Christ has made you to be. What does Paul say in Colossians? Chapter 3, beginning at verse 5. Put to death your former members. And he goes through a list of sins. In which you also once walked. When you lived in them. But that was then. But that's gone. Because you have this new condition in Christ. And you have this new character in Christ. And everything has changed. And so we can go on a bit later in verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy, beloved, put on tender mercies. Now again, this is all about character in the first place. Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Very similar to the list that he gives in Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit. You bear with one another, you forgive one another, and so forth. All the way through. The word of Christ now... Dwelling in you richly in all wisdom. You, hadn't, you had no time for the word of Christ before you converted. You didn't care a fig for the word of Christ before you were converted. But everything's changed now, hasn't it? Are you a converted man or woman? What does the word of God mean to you now? Everything's different. Whatever you do, whatever you do, verse 17, in word or deed... You do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's the life of a converted man or woman or young person. That's what it means to be converted. Your home, your family, your neighbours, your colleagues, they need to see and they need to rub shoulders with a converted man, a converted woman this is what it means to be a Christian this is what God can do in someone's life that's what it looks like to know the Lord Jesus Christ and it's in the everyday nitty gritty of life that this character will prove itself C.S. Lewis said something really helpful listen to this what a man does when he is taken off his guard, is the best evidence of what sort of man he is. This is brilliant. If there are rats in a cellar, you are most likely to see them if you go in very suddenly. The suddenness does not create the rats. 
It only prevents them from hiding. In the same way, the suddenness of the provocation does not make me ill-tempered if I have a tendency to be ill-tempered. The suddenness of the provocation only shows me to be an ill-tempered man. It's what you are in the nitty-gritty of life. When that situation catches you unawares, and there it is that your character is proven, there it is that your character is tested, there it is that if it's only a mask, the mask will slip. But if it's real, it will be evident to all. Your new condition is seen in your new character. And your new character is seen in your conduct if you're converted. New conduct. In Ephesians 2, you'll know that verse where Paul says that this converting work of God is God's workmanship in you. And you've been made to be this new creature in Christ for the good works that God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. New condition, new character, new conduct. In uh, Ephesians 4, at verse 20, Paul says this, You've not so learned Christ if indeed you have heard him. And have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you, number one, put off your former conduct. Because you've been converted. It can be no other way, can it? You've been placed in this new condition in Christ. You have this new character placed into your soul, your conduct changes and all the old things are being put off, put off, put off. Verse 23, you're constantly being renewed in the spirit of your mind because you have been converted and the conversion goes on and on and on. And verse 24, you put on the new man. So verse 28, as an example, let him who stole steal no longer because it's all changed. You're converted. Converted people live differently because this converting work is all of God. And it makes us good because God is good. You remember one of my favorite stories about a church minister getting on a bus one Monday morning. It was in the good old days when you got on the bus and you could take a pound note. Yeah, pounds made out of paper. Fancy that. You get your pound note, you give it to the driver and he actually takes cash and he'll give you change. Good old days. And he gives you a lovely little ticket out of that machine. 
And you take your ticket and you change and you go and sit down. And one day, the local church minister did just that and he sat down in his seat and he realises the bus driver's given him too much change. Well, he stays in his seat till his stop comes up and he walks to the front of the bus to get off and he taps the driver on the shoulder. He says, excuse me, you gave me a bit too much change. Hands it back to the driver. Yes, I know I gave you too much change, says the driver. The minister looks at him. Well, I was in your church yesterday listening to your sermon. And I, well, I just wondered if you lived by what you preached. What was that bus driver looking for? What's this minister's character like? How will he respond when he sees my intentional mistake? How will I know? By what he does. Here's what that bus driver really wanted to know. Is this church minister a converted man? That's what was under scrutiny that day. Is he a converted man? The next Sunday, the bus driver was sat in the congregation again. Is he a converted man? Is she a converted woman? Tomorrow morning, when the world looks at you, what will they decide? Unless you are converted and become as little children, just walking hand in hand with your Saviour, who is everything now to you. Unless you've been converted, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. But if you have been, everyone should notice. To the praise and glory of your wonderful Saviour.